0: So that's 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting at verse 1, (coughs) on page 310. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me, Your throne shall be established forever. Lord God, please help us to listen carefully and get excited about the amazing promise that you make to David. Amen. So tell me, who here is excited for Christmas tomorrow? Woo! Woo. Exactly. Yeah, lots of hands, great. Uh, But I've got a question for you Is there a particular time, either on Christmas Day or the Christmas holidays, when you feel most at rest? Have a think. When do you feel most at rest over the Christmas holidays? Kids and grown-ups, what do we think? Have some hands up. When do we feel most at rest? Go on, Terry. Boxing Day. Boxing Day evening. After all the kind of chaos has subsided. Nice, great. Any other suggestions? When do you feel most at rest over Christmas? Yeah, Verona. The day after Boxing Day. day Okay. (laughs) And then the 27th, yeah, the 28th. Any other? When else do you feel at rest? Yeah, right at the back. Oh, I can't hear, sorry. Christmas morning, because it's here. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, I don't know what it would be for you. Maybe it's that moment when you sit down to eat Christmas lunch, having been worried about the turkey and the potatoes all day, and now, oh, I can sit down and just enjoy the food. Maybe if you're a kid, you, you know, it's that moment when you finished school a couple of days ago and you got home, changed out of your uniform, chucked it in the dirty clothes basket or maybe just on the floor somewhere, and you think, ah, oh, school's over, I can rest for Christmas. Uh, whatever it is for you, it's a precious feeling, isn't it? And I really hope you do get some rest over the Christmas holidays. And that is what our Bible story today is going to promise us. rest. Rest, not just from the stresses of everyday life, but but true, forever rest. Uh, Look at verse 16 in the Bible reading. God says to King David, your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So in our reading, God promises David a house. And we're going to see that that house is going to bring rest. God's people forever uh, if you want to follow along we've got some um, headings on the back of your notice sheet, uh, there they are So look, we've got um, firstly a house for David forever that will bring the people rest and it starts at Christmas ok, that's where we're going first then uh, a house for David forever so our, our bible story is about King David who was a, a great king over Israel in about 1000 BC, 3000 years ago and let me tell you, David, he is doing very well. So um, I, need a, I need some help. I need maybe a kid. I need someone to volunteer to be King David for me. It's, oh, yeah, hands straight up. I love that. Why don't you come up? You just have to stand here and wear a costume. Is that OK? What's your name? Ted. Ted, great. Thank you, Ted. Let me get you dressed up as King David. So, got a nice robe for you, Ted. I mean, King David. So here you go, David. Can you just hold that? Look very kingly, nice. And you better have a crown, hadn't you? You okay to wear a crown? Let's just put that on your head. Look at this. Majestic. Thank you, King David. Now, David, let me tell you, you are doing really well at the moment because verse one of our passage tells us God had made you king and God had helped you to defeat all of your enemies. And David, you lived in a really fancy house in a special city called Jerusalem. So David, things are going really well for you. Can you give us a thumbs up, maybe two thumbs up, if you can manage? Look at that, things are going really well for David. Now David thought, verse two of our passage, here I am, living in a house of cedar, really fancy house, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Look, Here's God, David's in his fancy house, but God's just living in a tent. And so David thinks, you know what? You know what, God God has been so good to me, it doesn't seem fair that he lives in a tent while I've got a fancy house. So uh, God, I am going to build you a fancy house of your own. David says, God, I'm going to build you a temple. So let's just get our, our mini, oh dear, let's just get our mini temple up, here we go. David says, God, I want to build you a really fancy house, a temple. Here it goes. It's looking okay, isn't it? David says, uh, God, look at that. Would you like that? God, I want to build you a special house, a temple. God, would you like that? Do you know what God says? He says, no, thank yes. No, he says, no, thank you. It's really surprising, isn't it? It's in verses six and seven of our passage. God says to David, you know what David, uh, I've actually never lived in a house before, and never asked for a house before, so you know, thanks for offering David, but actually I'm okay, so uh, sorry David, it was a nice idea, but I don't think God wants a house, so why don't I put this away for us quickly, oh, down it goes, it was a nice idea wasn't it, there we go. i just put this over here. Nice idea, never mind. But then, God says something else to David. So let's look at the end of verse 11. God says to David, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Oh, okay, so God says he's going to establish a house for David. So, okay, I guess that means God's going to build David a house. So, okay, oh, here we go. Over it goes. David, just get your house going here. And um, Actually, you know what? Let me just look again. I don't think the house that God promises you, David, is going to be a house made of bricks and wood or plastic. Because if you read the rest of the passage, you'll see that the house God promises David is not a physical house with doors and windows that you can live in. No, God's doing a play on words, okay? So when when God promises King David a house, he's promising him a royal house, a dynasty, a succession. Okay, so we need to think about that. But I think, David, you can take a seat now. Thank you so much, King David. (laughs) Round of applause, thank you. I'll take your fantastic work. Thank you, Ted. Excellent. So, Let's try and work this out then. What does it mean uh, for God to promise David a royal house? Well, I think it's a bit like this. Who here has heard of the Tudors? Yeah, and we talk about the Tudors as the House of Tudor, don't we? If you hear about them at school, the the Tudor kings and queens are the House of Tudor. So I think between us, we can name all the different Tudor kings and queens. Are you guys ready for this? So uh, who's this guy, first Tudor king? Henry the seventh, very nice. Who comes after him? Easy one. Henry the Yep, everyone's favourite. Who you might have seen it there. Who comes after Henry the Which Edward? Six. Six. Very good. I had to look that one up, but it's Edward the sixth. Uh, after Edward the sixth, Mary. Mary, very nice. And then who comes after Mary? Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Exactly. And these guys together are the House of Tudor. They're a royal house, a dynasty, a succession. Okay, so that's the kind of house we're thinking about. Um, Or you might think about the house of Cheney. So we just uh, had Elijah's baptism, didn't we? That was really nice. Um, But Elijah, he is the latest member of the house of Cheney, isn't he? So look, here, um, Mike helped me out with this. Here is uh, what the House of Cheney might have looked like in the olden days, so just the men, um, because it's kind of the old fashioned way of doing it. But you've got um, Gerald Cheney here, who is, uh, we all know Mike, that's his granddad. And then you've got, his son is Jeremy. Jeremy's son is Mike, who we all know. And then we've got Elijah, who's the latest member of the House of Cheney. And you know, you can imagine, if Mike and Simone were king and queen, then uh, one day Elijah would take over and he'd be the king. You see? So that's kind of what we're thinking about. This is the kind of royal house that God's promising David. So should we we have a look at what the house of David looks like? I've got it over here. You guys ready for this? This is what God promised David, a royal royal succession. Here it goes. So uh, here we go. Got lots of names. And God promised David he'd have loads of descendants, and they would all be king. You see? So um, there we go. This is quite unwieldy, so I'm just going to pop it down there. So this, this is what God promises David. Not a physical house, but a royal house. A succession. Okay? And this house of David is going to be very special. It's going to be unique. Because most royal houses, they don't last that long. The the house of Tudor lasted about 130 years, Wikipedia tells me. Uh, And then it ended and the house of Stuart took over. But look how long God says the house of David will last. Uh, verse 16 of our passage, I think this is probably the most important verse. Verse 16. God says to David, Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Wow. So this house God's promised, it won't just last five generations. The house of David will last forever. So you know, God says, there'll be a king from the line of David on the throne in 1000 BC, 400 BC, 30 AD, uh, 1066, 1940, 2024, 3024. God says there will always forever be a descendant of David on the throne. Wow. So did you see? David, he wanted to do something nice for God. David wanted to build God a house, a temple, and God says, "No, thank you. I'm going to bless you with a house, with a royal dynasty that will never end." Isn't that amazing? Like God loves to bless His people with outrageous promises, like this one to David: a kingdom that lasts forever. Amazing. So God, he's got this big plan. He's going to build David a house, a dynasty, a kingdom that will always have one of his descendants on the throne. Uh, So now our second heading, the house will give the people rest. So imagine with me now that you're in the room while God is making this promise to David. Um, Imagine you're one of God's people listening in. Uh, How do you feel as you hear God making this promise to David? Because you might think, uh, big deal, you know, Good for you, David, I'm glad you have got your succession plan sorted, that's nice. But I'm not David, this doesn't make any difference to me and to the rest of my friends in Israel, does it? Actually, I don't know if that's quite right. Because the person in charge, that does affect everyone, doesn't it? Um, thinking about the Tudors, historians often talk about the reign of Elizabeth I as being a kind of golden age uh, in English history. Because, you know, there was, there was peace by and large, no major wars. Um, Shakespeare was out writing his plays. Adventurers were going off overseas and bringing back exotic things like potatoes. Like, what a time that was, discovering potatoes. Brilliant. Um, you know, some dodgy stuff as well. But broadly speaking, like it was a pretty good time to live in England under Elizabeth I. And contrast her reign with another Elizabeth who was in power recently. Um, who here remembers living under Liz Truss? It was chaos, wasn't it? Because she had this crazy plan and she did a budget and the markets hated it and the sterling dropped in value and it was madness, wasn't it? It was not a very good time to be a citizen of the UK under the reign of Liz Truss. So you see, it it does matter, doesn't it, who's in charge? If you've got someone good in charge, then things do tend to go well for the rest of the country. And that is true for the house of David, too. Because the forever house that God promised, well, it's good news for all of God's people. So look what David says. Uh, look, sorry, look at what God says to David in verses ten and eleven. God says, David, I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people should not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. You see, so this isn't just a promise for David. It's a promise for all God's people. Because the people they've been suffering for ages with loads of enemies attacking them and trying to overthrow them. But now, under the house of David, that will all end. They'll be secure, a home of their own where they won't be disturbed. They'll have rest from all their enemies. Must have been an incredible promise for them back then. Imagine how you'd feel if you were from Ukraine and you were promised that your country would have rest from its enemies. You know, no more tanks, no more troops, no more bombing. You could rebuild your country and it would never again be invaded. That would be so precious. That's the sort of promise God is making to Israel here. And that is a promise that you and I would love, isn't it? To have rest. We all want rest. Maybe not from enemies invading our land, but in our lives. We all feel sadness and pain, don't we? You know, just, just in my life. I'd love to have rest from ill health for my family. I'd love to have rest from relationships being spoiled by my sin and theirs. I'd love to have rest from worrying about what the future holds. Maybe you feel some of those things too. Um, Maybe for you, Christmas is not all fun and celebration, but it is a time where pain from the past wells up to the surface and you wish you could have rest. And so if that's you, then do you see God's plan here? Because God says he's going to give his people rest forever by setting up a forever house. I mean, oh man, what a plan. Doesn't that sound great, to have rest forever where it's safe? Well, I really want this. I really want this promise to be fulfilled. So a house for David forever that will give the people rest. So you might think, okay, great. So what happened next? God made this promise to David in 1000 BC. Then what happened? Well, it started well, the promise. There were some good kings. But actually, if you read the rest of the Bible, the kings were a bit rubbish. And as you go through them, the Bible records it's basically the story of the kingdom falling apart under the house of David. It just... It didn't go very well. The kings were selfish. they turned away from God. It didn't work. And so let's unroll the next bit. We've got a few more kings to look at. As you keep going through the Old Testament, you'll see, rulers came and rulers went, and it never really got any better. God's people were still suffering. they didn't have rest. And the people were waiting, and they were thinking, "Well what's happened, God? I thought you made these amazing promises, but nothing good seems to be coming at the moment. They were waiting. But then, a thousand years later, a thousand years after King David uh, had these promises made to him, something did happen. So, should we follow the family tree and see where we end up? So, where are we? Uh, here we are. This is very unwieldy. So, we've got Eleazar, who is the, This is all recorded in the Bible, by the way. Eleazar was the father of Matan. Matan. He was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of a guy called Joseph who married a lady called Mary and um, oh, can someone remind me what was the name of Mary and Joseph's baby? Jesus. Jesus exactly, shall we have a look? Jesus did you know Jesus is a king from the house of David, he's descended from David Jesus is part of the house of David maybe you never knew that And Jesus, he is nothing like anybody else in the house of David. Because these kings, they're all a bit rubbish, they're all a bit selfish. uh, But Jesus, he's the perfect king who can perfectly bring you rest. He lived a perfect life and he died in your place on the cross to bring you rest. And then these kings, you know, even when there was a good one occasionally, uh, he died in the end and his rubbish son would take over. But Jesus, when God raised Jesus from the dead on Easter Sunday, he made him king forever. Jesus, he will never die, and no one will ever take over from him. So you can see this huge, mega promise that God made to David all the way through this forever house that gives the people rest. It all comes true. It's all perfectly fulfilled in Jesus and so if you put your trust in Jesus, then the promises He made, those are promises for you. Promises that when you die, you'll go to be with Him, and you'll have rest forever. No sickness, no sadness, no death. You'll have everlasting joy, you'll have rest. So if you understand this promise rightly, then oh Christmas becomes the most amazing news ever, doesn't it? Because Christmas is the moment where Jesus arrives. It's the turning point in history. The perfect, forever King Jesus, he's arrived. Christmas, it changes everything. So tomorrow, uh, as you enjoy celebrating Christmas, while you're unwrapping presents, while you're enjoying time with family, when you finally sit down to relax and watch chicken run with a slice of cake or something, uh, whatever rest it is, you do manage to get this Christmas. um, Remember... The rest you feel, it is just a tiny little foretaste, like a wafer-thin sliver of Christmas turkey compared to the rest that God offers you forever through the promise he made to David. The promise of a house, a kingdom that will last forever, that brings the people rest. And that all comes true through the perfect forever king, Jesus Christ. And at Christmas we remember... He's finally here. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your amazing plan for the world, to give your people rest through a forever kingdom. Thank you that Jesus is the forever king and this huge promise you made comes true in him. Please can that be a precious truth to us all over Christmas. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.